Welcome to the Word of God. I'm Father Reed. Today we'll be looking at Proper 24. Proper 24. Now remember, there are 29 propers, and that actually covers the second half of the liturgical season, the Sundays after Pentecost. The beginning of the, of the liturgical season begins with Advent, and we're going to be celebrating Advent normally at the end of November or the beginning of December, depending on where Christmas falls. You have to have four Sundays without before Christmas, four Sundays before Christmas, and then you back that up after Pentecost. And Pentecost is also a movable date. So Pentecost is a movable date, Pentecost Day, coming of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, and Christmas, the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus, as all of you know. So we are in proper 24, and I begin today with Jeremiah. Now, the situation in Israel is that the nation has been taken into captivity, 2 Kings 25, which we saw last week, and they are suffering tremendously. They are being taken in captivity by the Babylonians, and they are taken into captivity because they have sinned against the Lord. They have not followed his will. The kings have not honored God. They have not done what God has asked them to do. They become disobedient. They have worshiped other idols. God has repeatedly told them to stop doing it, and they would not listen to God. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord came upon them, which is something you do not want to happen in your life or mine. And they were led into captivity. We look today at Jeremiah this week at Jeremiah 29 and 44, and then we go to Lamentations 1 and 2, which are laments, wailing, if you will, about the fact that God Almighty has abandoned them or judged them, and they recognize they've sinned against God. And so where do we go from here? And then finally, Ezra chapter 1, chapter 3, and chapter 4. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah are going to be important books of the Old Testament that talk about the return of the exiles from Babylon. And we call that the restoration. So we have a situation where they've been led into captivity. They have been uh, uh, slaughtered, if you will. Uh, the temple has been razed, R-A-Z-E-D. It's been destroyed. Uh, and the walls have been torn down. This is where Nehemiah is going to come up, come back, and he is going to uh, be part of the restoration of the wall. And Ezra, as we'll see, will be part of the uh, teaching of the people, the things of the Lord. And the people that come back, the restoration, God will raise the country back up again. But for now, they are uh, in deep, deep trouble because of their sin against God. The second Reading will be out of 1 Corinthians 15 and 16 and uh, Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Philemon. And then finally, we will look at Matthew 11 and 12 in the Gospels. So let's begin with Jeremiah 29, 1, 4 to 14. Now, verse 11 to 14 is a wonderful verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. A beautiful promise of the Lord's. He's going to bring them back from captivity. He's going to save them. He's going to protect them. So you have this juxtaposition of we're being led into captivity and we're suffering because of our sin against God. But then he's going to bring us back and he's going to restore us. So God is a forgiving God, but there are consequences when we sin against him. Jeremiah 44. Jeremiah 44, 1 to 14. Disaster because of idolatry is the heading. Disaster because of idolatry. Again and again, I sent my servants. I said that a few minutes ago. I sent my servants, the prophets. Do not do this detestable thing that I hate. But they did not pay attention or listen. They did not turn from their wickedness or stop burning incense to other gods. I told them what to do. I told them to stop doing it. And they didn't stop doing it. Verse 7. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Why bring such great disaster on yourselves by cutting off from Judah the men and women the children and infants, and so leave yourselves without a remnant. Why do you want to hurt yourself? Why do you want to sin against me in such a way as to destroy yourself? Verse 10. To this day they have not humbled themselves or shown reverence, nor have they followed my law and decrees I set before you and your fathers. So after we mess up with the Lord, we want to repent. I am sorry, Lord God. I have offended thee. I did not do what you told me to do. Please forgive me. And of course, God will, but we've got to confess it. We've got to say it. Lamentations. Now, Lamentations is after Jeremiah. It's five chapters long. Now, interestingly, in the middle of Lamentations is something very positive from the Lord. But the rest of it, pretty rough. Chapter 1, verse 1. How deserted lies the city when once so full of people. How like a widow is she who was once great among the nations. So who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are upon her cheeks. And so he paints this extraordinary picture of destitution, sadness, the loss of glory the consequences of not doing what God says. If you have not read Lamentations, please enjoy this. Very good. Lamentations chapter 2, 8 to 15. The Lord determined to tear down the wall around the daughter of Zion. He stretched out a measuring line and did not withhold his hand from destroying. He made ramparts and walls lament. Together they wasted away. Remember I told you the wall was torn down? Her gates have sunk into the ground. Their bars he has broken and destroyed. Her king and her princes are exiled among the nations. The law is no more. And with and her prophets no longer find visions from the Lord. No more law. We've abdicated the law. We've run away from the law. We're not going to do the law. The law is no more. The prophets are not hearing from the Lord. There's no visions from God. He communicates through the prophets. Remember, that's the way he speaks to people. So they don't have very much. It's a very, very bad situation for Israel. Enjoy Jeremiah and Lamentations. All right, let's go over to the end of the history books 
We've got First and Second Chronicles, and then after Second Chronicles, we've got Ezra. Ezra chapter 1, 1 through 11. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now the Persians destroyed the Babylonians. The Babylonians destroyed the Assyrians. And before the Assyrians, there were the Jews, about 1000 BC, about David's time. The Persians were defeated by the Greeks, and the Greeks were defeated by the Romans. That takes us to Jesus' time. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it into writing. Now, Cyrus wasn't in any way a follower of God, a follower of Yahweh, but the Lord moved him because the Lord is sovereign over all. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Go back to the temple and the Lord will be with you. And so the Lord begins the restoration. Chapter 3, they're going to rebuild the altar and they're going to rebuild the temple. Remember, it's been destroyed, burnt down, walls destroyed. Now, you obviously need walls to protect yourself. So they're very vulnerable right now. But God is going to be with them to keep the remnant and to keep them in the Lord. But we got to start over. We've got to take care of the physical plant. And then spiritually, we've got to take care of the people. And finally, Ezra 4, 7 and 11 to 24. We have opposition. Now, obviously, he's going to have opposition. We're going to have trying times. We're going to have trying times. 11 to 24. The king should know, verse 12, that the Jews who came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem in the rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. That's what I just said. Furthermore, the king shall know that if this city is built and its walls are restored, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid, and the royal revenues will suffer. So we're dealing with, with um, what's going on around them and how they're going to interact. So this is wonderful reading also, chapter 4 of Ezra. So Ezra is, and we'll look at Ezra the next several weeks after this one, proper 24, but we'll see how God restores the people through the writings of Ezra and Nehemiah. And then, of course, we've got the prophets that are raised up at this time. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, we've been in 1 Corinthians for weeks and weeks. And now we're getting toward the end. 1 Corinthians 15. And he's talking about the body. He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. And this material is actually pretty, not, not easy. It's a little bit difficult. So you, again, in the lectionary, you want to be reading it. You want to be reading it studiously or just read it maybe for the first time in your life. If you've got a study Bible, you can look at the notes at the bottom of the page and they may be able to help you to give you more insight if you don't know what exactly they're talking about. And certainly I recommend a commentary. Let's look at the end of chapter 15. 
Death, aware, O death, verse 55, is your victory. Where, O death, is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is in the law. See, the, the power of sin is in the law because the law, law points out our wrongdoing. When the law points out what's right or wrong, and we do what is wrong, we do what is wrong because of sin. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, since no one can keep the law, and the law is sacrosanct, God's not going to abolish the law. He's not going to change it. The law is present for us to point out our sin and to lead us to righteousness. But how can we do what is wrong by ourselves, what is right, I'm sorry, by ourselves? We can't. The victory comes through Jesus Christ. He's the one that gives us the power to do the right thing. This is why Jesus is so important. Verse 58, chapter 15. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Basically, he's saying, stand firm in the Lord. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stay in the Lord. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. It may not like, be like you're, not, you're going anywhere. It may be, feel like you're not making any advances, but if you're working for the Lord, that's good. Chapter 16, personal requests of Paul. He says in verse 13, I love 13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. Very much like the end of 15. Be of courage. Be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. Boy, I tell you what, you do that, you're going to be in good shape. 13 and 14, mark that down. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong. That's how you overcome sin. Do everything in love. Be a loving person. And so, again, enjoy the reading of 1 Corinthians 15 and 16. Now, Philemon is a very short book. And it comes right before Hebrews. It is the 13th writing of Paul. And he's in prison when he writes it. He's in prison when he writes Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians. And Philemon is about a person who uh, named Onesimus, Onesimus, who ran away, who was a slave that ran away from their master. Philemon is the master. Onesimus gets saved under Paul's ministry, and now Paul wants Onesimus to go back and be with Philemon as a brother in the Lord. Now this is a fascinating thing, and the whole subject of slavery is a fascinating subject. Paul does not talk about slavery as an unjust activity. He's talking about it as a fact and he wants to deal with it in the greatest Christian manner that he could between master and slave. And so he says, verse 8, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. He's writing to Philemon who became my son when I was in chains. Fortunately, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you. 
I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I was in, in, in change in the gospel. If Paul's in change and he needs some help. Philemon would be great, but he's sending him back to deal with the fact that he ran away and the fact that he's now a brother in Christ and that Philemon needs to t teach him and um, handle him and love him and disciple him and care for him as a brother in Christ, not as a slave owner. So I think you'll enjoy Philemon if you haven't read it before. We're back in Jesus's journey in Matthew, Matthew being the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11, 16 to 24. Jesus is preaching and he's teaching, 16 to 24, and he is sharing the news with them. Um, he is correcting them. He is challenging them. He continues to teach about what they need to know and what we need to know about the kingdom of God. Look at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to your little, cho little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Very powerful statement right there in Matthew. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Invitation to us all to come to the Lord. Again, a beautiful teaching for all of us. Matthew chapter 12, again, he's teaching about being Lord of the Sabbath and about doing a healing about the Sabbath. That's a tremendously large subject. Uh, in the Old Testament, the idea of the Sabbath was, goes all the way back to Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, as you know. And then he talks about how the leaders, are, the Pharisees, Sadducees, etc., are dealing with the subject of, of the Sabbath and what the right teaching about the Sabbath is. He then refers to a scripture in Isaiah. Remember, Matthew likes to refer back to the Old Testament about uh, him having the Holy Spirit and being the Messiah. He then goes and talks about Jesus and Beelzebub because they think that he is a... He think, they think he's Beelzebub. They think he is the lead devil, which is hard to believe, Jesus says in response in verse 27, chapter 12. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you, you, your people drive them out? But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, which is what he was doing, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And then at the end of this, he calls them a brood of vipers. And then he talks about the sign of Jonah and how he is a sign from, the, again, the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, the minor prophet, and talks about understanding that scripture or those series of scriptures as a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, and of course he uses that to refer to his death and resurrection. Now, 
Jesus does miracles and he's teaching. Why is he doing this? So that people will respond to him in love and faith, so that they will follow him, so they will be with him, so they will trust him. The miracles are signs that he is who he says he is. The teaching is ours to accept and to learn from so that we form a worldview, we form a theology, we form our faith that is consistent and very powerful. And then we act accordingly based on how Jesus tells us to act. So we have, a, we have the idea of belief and then we have the idea of action. We act upon what we believe and Jesus is teaching us. And so that's why your daily reading of the lectionary is so important. I'm glad you join me every week. So I encourage you to read slowly and read well. If you are led by the Spirit of God to do some additional reading, please do so and enjoy this week's readings from Proper 24. We'll see you next time for the Word of God.